Well, my name is Ron Kula. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. And again, it's a joy to welcome all of you here this morning. We're going to continue uh, a series that we started, um, and, and we're coming out of the Gospel of Luke and picking up some different stories during Lent. And we're calling the series The Gospel of the Nobodies. Because one of the main themes of Luke is, is that God has a heart for nobodies. The fact is, the, the world, Luke knows this, it was true in his day, it's true in our day. I think it was true whenever there have been people gathered together in communities. There are nobodies and there are somebodies. As soon as you have three or four people, you get divided into groups. There are winners and there are losers. There are important people and there are unimportant people. And, and, and when we think about the communities we're a part of, in our neighborhoods, that can happen. In our workplaces, that can happen. And even some of us might look back growing up and say, I felt felt like it was that way in our family. My brother was somebody. I was nobody. He was the athlete or she was this or whatever. And, and everybody was all about, they were a somebody. I was a nobody or I was a somebody and they were nobodies. But, but it just happens over and over again. As we, as we go through life, the world gets divided into somebodies and nobodies. And, and, and one of the things that's clear to, to, from the gospel of Luke is that God has this amazing heart for the nobodies. God has this deep heart for the nobodies, the last, the least, the lost, the losers, all right? Those who are in need, those who are broken. God has a, a heart for us, and, and, it, and it's maybe because we become desperate at that time for him. But God has a heart for us when we are nobodies. God has a heart for us when we are broken. And, and one of the ways that Luke highlights this, we talked about this last week and we looked at one, but Luke loves to tell stories with two characters, a nobody and a somebody, and he loves to tell stories about how they interact with Jesus and, and how they experience different things and different ways of interacting with Jesus. Last week, we looked at the, the, the Pharisee and the sinful woman, right? We looked at the Pharisee who was a somebody, but who struggled with kind of connecting with Jesus and this sinful woman, the prostitute, who just threw her, her, herself at the feet of Jesus. And she washed his, his feet with her tears and with her, with her ointment and so on. And, 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 and so we saw that the somebody kind of got pushed back a little bit and the nobody was brought forward into the presence of Jesus. And that happens again and again and again. We've got another story this morning and it's going to have a little bit of a different twist to it. It's got a somebody and a nobody, but they're both going to have something in common, all right? So this story comes out of Luke 8 and uh, starts at verse 41, if you want to look it up in your Bibles. But it's a synagogue leader and a sick woman, all right? Let's start with the, the synagogue leader. His name was Jairus, all right? His name was Jairus, and he was indeed a somebody, all right? He was somebody important. Uh, he, he, was, he was not, a, again, a professional pastor or anything, but, but you want to think about him in the church community, he would be similar to the chairman of the church board, okay? He was a ruler in the synagogue. He was somebody who was respected by the community, perhaps voted into the position and so on, but he was kind of the chairman, the leader of the church board. He was an elder, somebody who had that, those, those resources to do that, and, and again, probably financially secure. Jairus was somebody who basically had his life together. Things were going well. Things were, were solid for Jairus. The nobody is the woman, all right? Again, she's a woman. That, that just leads to being in that culture a nobody. But, but she had a, a specific problem that had caused her great struggle over the last 12 years. She had a flow of blood, a menstrual cycle for, for the last 12 years that was continuous and ongoing. And it had another number of impacts on her life. First of all, just physically, if you think about this, this woman is, is constantly bleeding, constantly wasting away, constantly struggling, constantly physically tired, uh, iron deficient, all that stuff. You can talk about it now. But, you know, I mean, and, and, and you know about it today in culture and our, with, with the doctors and so on. But, but she would have just been physically really wiped out. And financially, we're told that she'd spent all that she had. 
She, she had spent all the money that she had uh, of, uh, on trying to get this problem fixed, and she'd never been healed. She'd never gotten better. And then perhaps most importantly, and this is one we wouldn't necessarily think of, but socially, socially she was unclean, okay? She was considered somebody who could not go out. A woman during her menstrual cycle was considered unclean. She, she couldn't go to the synagogue, and in fact, nobody was supposed to touch her. Nobody was supposed to get near her, all right? So, so this woman for 12 years had not been able to be near anybody else. For 12 years, she should not have received a hug. She should not have been touched. She should not have been able to go to church. She should not have been able to go to the synagogue. She, for 12 years, and, 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 and she has just had to kind of be in by herself, stay in, stay away from everybody else, no community, no joy, none of that stuff. And, and, and so they live in the same town, all right? And, and, and I want to suggest that perhaps they'd never met. Again, this woman, certainly not in the last 12 years, right? I mean, she hasn't been able to go out in public for the last 12 years. And so this woman is there. She's now poor and destitute and alone and so on. She, she, Jairus has lived in the best circles. He's the one who's, who's been in the, the, the spotlight. And, and, and even though they lived in the same town, they, they perhaps had never met, probably had never met, in fact, I could say. But one day their lives came together. All right, one day their lives came together, and, and this, is, this is why, and this is what's important for us to understand their, this morning. Their lives came together because they were both desperate. They were both down to their last hope. You see, one of the things we need to learn this morning is that somebody's and nobody's, at the end of the day, we're all desperate. Somebody's and nobody's, no matter how much money you have, I tell you this, at the end of the day, you will discover that you cannot solve all your problems. You will discover that you cannot make everything new. You cannot solve everything. And, 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 and so at the end of the day, we are all in, in deep places of our hearts. We are all desperate and in need of God to do something in our lives. In the case of Jairus, it was his daughter. It was his only daughter. If you've had daughters, if you've had a single daughter like I did, you know that it, uh, when you got one daughter, she just wraps her, herself around your little finger, and she is the apple of your eye. For Jairus, he couldn't talk about her without just getting a few tears in his eyes. She was so special, and, 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 and what she wanted, I mean, she was daddy's little girl, and she would always be daddy's little girl. She's 12 years old, just the joy of his life. But she's dying. Don't know why. Don't know what disease she has. But, but she's dying. And again, if you can imagine that as a parent, one of your children dying. And Jairus has all the resources. Jairus can do so many different things. And I, I, he's brought her to so many different places. Again, he's poured the money and He's used all of his power, all of his prestige, all of his possessions. He's used all of that to try to bring her someplace where somebody can do something. And nobody can do anything. And his daughter is dying. And, and, and in that desperation, in that struggle, in that pain, he turns to Jesus. Luke 8. 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and he just, just, I mean, this is desperation. He fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And, and, and so you can imagine, you can imagine what it was like as Jairus is there. He's just saying, Jesus, you've got to come. You've got to come and do something. I have nowhere else to turn. I, I, I cannot lose my little girl. I need you to come. I need you to do something, all right? The fact is, again, like I was saying, being a somebody didn't help when he needed it the most. And, and, and all of us will discover that at some point in our lives. I think it's just fascinating. One of the really interesting things to do is to, is to look at the lives of, of, of people like a Howard Hughes, unbelievably wealthy, 
but he ended up his life with these four-inch-long fingernails, living in an apartment, a penthouse apartment, almost always in the dark because he was sure they were out to get him. I mean, it's just this very, because in spite of all that he had, he still didn't have peace. In spite of all that he had, he still couldn't solve all of his problems. And, and, And so that's, what Jairus says, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, all right, I'll go with you. And, and they start to make their way. The crowds, Luke says, are huge. They're pressing in. Everybody's uh, uh, p- pushing around. I can imagine Jairus going, get out of the way. Come on, my daughter. Is, we got to move. We got to get something done. Get out of the way. Verse 43, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. The crowds were there, and they're, they're choking everybody out. Jesus can hardly move. Jairus can hardly move. And in that crowd is this woman, okay? In that crowd is this woman with a flow of blood. And she's got her eyes on Jesus. But again, you've got to understand that she can't let everybody else see her face. Because if they know who she is, she's unclean. She's breaking the law by being in a crowd, okay? She's, she's breaking the, the law by being outside and by letting other people, a crowd that's touching her, everybody's touching her. And technically, everybody who touches her becomes unclean and can't go to synagogue. Everybody who touches her has to do sacrifices. Everybody, so she's keeping her head down. She doesn't want anybody to know that she's there. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She reaches out, and she doesn't tap Jesus on the shoulder. She wants to just do this as, as quickly as she can and as quietly as she can. She reaches out. Well, here's what Luke says. She came up behind him. And she touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. She touched the edge of his cloak, and she was healed. She could just tell it immediately. Life came into her. She touched that cloak of Jesus, and and life came into her. Now, Ray Vanderlaan says something I think that's really, really helpful here uh, about what what Luke is trying to tell us. And it has to do with this phrase here, the edge of his cloak, okay? Um, You know, I look at that, and I say, well, that was just the place that that she would grab, right? That was just the the lowest place, the most hidden place that she could touch. That's that's all that is, right? No, no. Ray talks about going back to the book of Malachi. Let me, let me show you something here. In, in the Hebrew, the word for edge of his cloak is kanaf, which is also the word for wings, which makes sense, right? If you think about somebody with a robe kind of that's open, um, you know, when you're walking around in your bathrobe and you remove it, like, like floats, right? Um, you know, you get wings, right? I do this in my house, not with my arms, but, <laughs> the, 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 you know, that, and so they're called the wings. That's the kanaf, Okay. If we go back to Malachi, the book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, 400 years before Jesus, Malachi 4, verse 2, it says this. The son, S-U-N, the son of righteousness, and that was the Messiah, will rise with healing in his wings. Wings, hem of the coat. What, what people in, in, in Luke's day, in Jesus' day, believed is that when the Messiah would come, all you had to do was touch the, the hem of his coat. All you had to do was touch his wings because he would have healing in his wings. And so what this woman is saying is, I believe you're the Messiah, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe you are the one. I am so desperate. I have nowhere else to turn. And you are the one who can heal me. You are the one who can give me life. And so she reaches out and she touches him. And she experiences life. And, and then she starts to sneak away. She doesn't know if Jesus is going to be angry with her. She doesn't know if the crowds are going to be angry with her. Again, they're going to go, now we're all unclean because you weren't, you know, all this other stuff. And so she just tries to sneak away. And Jesus does this amazing thing. He stops and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And all the people around saying, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Peter finally says what you and I might have said. Excuse me, you're in a mob. <laughs> 
Everybody touched you. There are hundreds of people who touched me, who touched me. When, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. There are a lot of people who touched you. There are a lot of people who bumped into you. There are a lot of people who rubbed up against you. And then these words from Jesus, and, and this is a huge challenge for us this morning. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. And the challenge, what I want you to think about is the difference between touching Jesus or just being next to Jesus, just bumping into Jesus. You see, there were a lot of people there who wanted to be near Jesus. He was kind of a hot topic, right? He was kind of in the news. You never knew what he was going to do. He was interesting. He was a teacher, and and he was a miracle worker. And so there were a lot of people who just wanted to be around, and and it was the thing to do, right? Your peer pressure was to say, Jesus is in town. Let's go see what's going on. And so there were a lot of people there who were bumping into Jesus, but she came out of desperation and faith. Desperation and faith. She came out of desperation and faith, and she touched Jesus. And I look at that and I think, how often am I just kind of bumping into Jesus? And how often am I deep in my desperation reaching out and touching Jesus in faith? There's a difference. There were all sorts of people in his day who bumped into him, but never really reached out to him in desperation and faith. And, and for many of us, we've been raised kind of to bump into Jesus. And I don't want you to settle for that. I don't want any of us to ever settle for just saying, well, yeah, I bump into Jesus every Sunday morning. No, Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of our lives. Jesus is the only one who can make us new. Jesus is the only one who can forgive our sins. We, we don't just bump into him. If we bump into him, we'll miss him. What we need to do is reach out in desperate faith. Reach out saying, God, I don't have anywhere else to go, Jesus. Will you give me life? There's a difference, right? There's a difference between bumping into Jesus in touching Jesus in faith. Jesus said, somebody touched me, all right? This woman stops and realizes he's going to know. He's going to know. So she turns and, and confesses. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. I mean, she falls down, just like Jairus had fallen down. People are falling down in this story, right? When they get near Jesus, they're falling down. She falls down and she says, I had no other choice. I had no other option. And and again, she's nervous. Is Jesus going to be angry with her? Is the crowd going to be angry with her? And, And I love this. Verse 48, then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus loves it when we come to him with deep needs and daring faith. Jesus loves it when we come to him with deep needs and daring faith. Again, this is why the nobodies came to Jesus first, because they knew they were desperate. This is why, you know, we talk about foxhole conversions. The fact is when we're desperate, we realize we can't make it on our own. And this woman was desperate, and she came and she touched the edge of his cloak, the hem of his garment, his wings, and she was healed. It's a great story, but all of a sudden we remember Jairus. <laughs> Jesus was on his way someplace. This guy's daughter was sick, and, 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 and what's going to happen here? The somebody still needs something done here. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And I would imagine that Jairus's knees buckled at that moment that she was gone, and he drops his head. And I imagine he maybe starts to turn, 
Jesus says, no, I'm not done yet. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Don't be afraid. And, and Jesus says that to us. Now, I don't think he always heals immediately. He's going to raise her from the dead immediately here. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am also the Lord of death. I am also the one who's going to conquer death. Do you trust me with that? Do you trust me with that? At this desperate moment, when you're laying your loved one in the ground, will we trust Jesus with that loved one? And will we trust Jesus with ourselves? Jesus goes to the house. He goes into the room with Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father. And he touches her. He took her by the hand. Again, think about this. This is the second time in maybe 10 minutes or so, I don't know, 15 minutes, however long it took to get to the house, that Jesus is touching an unclean. A corpse was unclean. You touch a corpse, you had to go through all the rituals. You had to go through all the sacrifices. You had to go through all of those things. And Jesus reaches out and he touches her by the hand. He takes her by the hand. And again, that is such a picture of what Jesus came to do. Because because Jesus came to take our sin. He came to touch us. And in that, our our sin transferred to him and his life transfers to us. Jesus touches that which is unclean. And, And ultimately, it was touches like this that led to the cross. It was, it was touches like this that led to his death. But he is more than happy to do that. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And I would imagine Jairus about fell over again. The poor guy, I mean, he is just now, he's just shocked out of joy that his girl is alive and he's celebrating, and he and his wife, and they're hugging her and something. And then Jesus says something really interesting. Then Jesus said, then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Jesus told her, why why in the world does Luke tell us that? Why did Jesus do that? I I suppose dying and coming back might make one hungry. That might be all that it is. That's entirely possible. But, But I think that both of these stories, Luke wants us to highlight something here, to notice something here. In this culture, and we talked about it a little bit last week, to eat a meal was to share community. To eat a meal together was to, to be restored into that community. You, you didn't invite enemies to a meal. You invited enemies to a debate. The Pharisee was checking Jesus out so they could have a meal together. But, but meals were places of closeness. Meals were places of sharing. Meals were places of intimacy. And so what Jesus is saying, I not only give her new life, I also restore her to community. And think about the woman with the flow of blood. Not only was she able to, to, not, to now be healthy and, and, and physically and financially start to recover, but now she can also socially Find a community, and, 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 and Jesus brings her to that. So what do we learn? What do we learn, all right? Um, two main things. Two main things. The first is this, that we are all desperate. We are all desperate. The somebodies and the nobodies, the winners and the losers, the greatest and the least. The fact of the matter is, Augustine said, that, that we all have a God-shaped void inside of us, and our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And, 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 and at some point, we run into that. At, at some point, we realize that there are challenges we cannot face. It doesn't matter how much money we have. We cannot stave off death. It doesn't matter how much money we have. We cannot heal a broken heart. It doesn't matter how, how much prestige or power we have. At the end of the day, we all die, and we all are broken and lost, okay? And, and, and when, 
I, I was thinking about that this week, and I thought this is, I think, one of the reasons the entertainment industry is so huge in our world today. Because I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to recognize that, that, that my life without Christ has no ultimate meaning. That, that my life without Christ ultimately is just sailing around a ball that someday we'll get too close to the sun and we'll all burn up. And so that's one of the reasons why a lot of people self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or whatever, right? Because I don't want to face the reality. I don't want to face the reality that I can't save my kids. I don't want to face the reality of, of the emptiness of my life. We are all desperate. And friends, everyone on planet Earth and, and, and just everyone in a three-mile area within this church, everyone on your street is desperate. They may not look it. I, I mean, we, we try to look calm and confident. I can't remember which person it was. I had somebody quote it to me this week, and I don't know if it was an Einstein or somebody like that, but they said, they said that, that religion is a crutch for those who can't face the dark. And, and, and what he was saying is, look, I can understand where you need religion. My brother-in-law feels this way about, you know, he's an atheist, and, and, he, and he says, I can understand where, where you do a service to run to help people try to find some meaning in their life even though there isn't any. It's a crutch to help those who can't face the dark. We cannot face that. He feels like he has faced it. And sometimes he gets deeply, deeply depressed. Somebody responded to that by saying Christianity is for those who aren't afraid of the light. But that's another matter. But I like that. (laughs) So we're all desperate. We need hope. And then the second thing, Jesus is the hope of the world. And he is the only hope of the world. Our hearts are restless until they rest In you, Father, in Jesus Christ, until the only one who can fill that emptiness, the only one who can overcome that desperation, the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. He is our hope here. He is our hope here, and we need to grow deeper and deeper in that. And he is the hope of every single person around us. That is why church matters so that we can grow in that hope, so we can raise our kids in that hope, so that we can, in a a world full of broken people, so that we can invite others to be a part of that hope. Jesus Christ creates a community here of of, of hope. And and this story reminds us that everybody needs Jesus. I do and you do, whether you're a somebody or a nobody. And at one level, that's the end of the sermon. But I want to take a few minutes and talk about what's next for us as a congregation, okay? Um, I, I don't do this. I don't think I've done this in 25 years. So I, but I, I had enough people say, okay, we're talking about building stuff and so on. And I think it flows out of the sermon really well. So I want to take a few minutes um, and, and, and talk about what's next. Uh, you may know um, that we're going to have, Daniel announced it, you probably weren't listening, but he did at the beginning of the service, the Tuesday of a congregational meeting. Those, and, and we're going to talk about whether we feel God calling us to, to move forward with this process. And, and the first thing I want to say, and this is, and, and I'm just going to try to share from my heart here as best I can, um, it's not about buildings. On the one hand, yeah, we're voting about whether to build a building, but friends, I didn't become a pastor to build a building. I have very, in some ways, very little interest whatsoever in buildings. It's not about buildings. It's about people. It is about people. People like the somebodies and the nobodies. People like the woman who was struggling in her loneliness who was a nobody. People like Jairus who's, who's a somebody but who's desperate. And at the end of the day, it is about people, friends. That is what we are in. We are in the people business, okay? We're, we're, we're in, in, into people who are... 
well, kids. It's about kids. We've got 80 kids, two and under here. And, and we, we just need a place for them to be safe to learn about Jesus and so that parents can sit in here and be safe to learn about Jesus and so on. That's what it's about. It's about those kids. We've actually had people, I hate to say this, but we have. We've had people visit several times and then tell us, we just didn't feel like your nurseries were safe. And, 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 and we, we're, we're going to go someplace else. And, and I think, no, I, I don't want that to be in the way. It's, it's about kids. It's about young people, about middle schoolers, high schoolers, and college students. I mean, that's why we have people like Kirk and Eric and Linda working with college students. Friends, that's, I, those, that age is so important. That age is so absolutely essential as we're learning about who God is and as we're trying to understand who we are. To have, to have places and community where we walk with each other in that, all right? Where we have a, a intergenerational ministry stuff happening. It's about young people. It's about adults. We get to that age where we start to realize our mortality. <laughs> you know, everybody knows you're going to die. Yeah, at 50, you really start to realize it's just around the corner. And, and that sense of desperation sets in. And we need to go deep into Jesus. It's about adults, and it's about seniors. I am so thankful for those of you who are in this church who are seniors, those of you who are retired, you have walked with us, some of you from this church's beginning 48 years ago, been here for the 25 years I've been here, but I am so thankful, and, and, and to see the opportunities and, and the ministry that happens, and the way seniors build into kids, and the way seniors build into high school students, and high school students, that's what it's about. It's about people, but even more, it's about Jesus, Okay? Because Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart. And that's why I became a pastor. 25 years ago, a little over 25 years ago, I preached my first sermon here at Hillside as an ordained pastor, all right? And George had said, it's kind of a time to tell people, why do you do this? What, what, what is the ministry for you? And my text fits in with what we looked at today. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. That was my text. There, oops, hold on. There it is. Praise be... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I said, the reason I want to be a pastor, the reason I think God called me into this is because we live in a world of broken people. We live in a world of people who have lived lives, whether we like it, of quiet desperation, who, who, who need Jesus Christ. And, and we have the answer in Jesus Christ and, and I tell you, I've said it to you before, I could not have a better job. I could not have a better job than the opportunity to share with you that there is hope through Jesus Christ. The opportunity to share with you every week that Jesus Christ brings forgiveness, that Jesus Christ brings new life. And, 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 just, and it's not just for us, it's for our neighbors, it's for the community around us. And, and, and so just to be people of hope, to be people who who recognize that we're all desperate losers trying to, to discover the life of Jesus and share that with the people around us. And, and so as we've been talking about this, we, we've talked about four areas of focus, children and youth. Again, we've been focusing on that for the last few years, and we're going to continue to focus on it because a lot of you are still pregnant. I'm not going to make you stand up because it's just crazy. But, you know, I mean, it's just God has blessed us with so many kids and so many good children's ministry people. I mean, Dawn and, and her team, Kristen, they do just a fantastic job. Again, shaping and molding those kids, worship and preaching. As we gather together, we said, you know what? We, we experience good things in our worship, and, and, 
and preaching's adequate, but you know, and we'll do what we can with that, and we'll try to grow that better. Building relationships, building a family. And, and let me just tell you here, here's one of the deals. Um, you know, we're not a mega church. And, and the fact is, I'd like to know all of you. I like to, I'm a pastor. I, I, I don't want to just kind of be a guy who preaches on Sunday. I still want to get to know people. And we can do that here. And, and when you say, well, boy, you know, we're not building all that much bigger. We're looking at maybe 650 seats, not 450 seats or something. You say, well, that's, you, you could do bigger than that. Well, but are we, we want to maintain a sense of community. And, and that's why we're also looking at, do we do a church plant or a satellite or something? But, but relationships are important to us. And then impacting our community. Impacting, not out, but our community. I just noticed that. You know, again, the last three Monday nights, we've had 70 people in here for the golf clinic. On Thursday nights, we've had Zumba going on in here. And, and it just, there are so many different ways. God questions starting Alpha. It's just, got, to make an impact on this community here and around the world, it is just, that's what it's about, friends. That's what it's about. And, and, and so I want to just say again, it's, it's not about buildings. But hopefully you can understand buildings do matter. <laughs> Okay, it, it, buildings do matter. This was a congregation that for the first 23 years of its life said, we don't need a building. And it met in, met in schools and in various places and then decided we need a building, we need a place, you know, and, 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 and so building do matter. And this is a great building. This is really, it is. Well, I, I, a week ago last week, not this week, but last week, on Monday night we had over 100 people here at different meetings. The golf clinic here, we had financial peace set up and they had 20-some people there. We had a, a, a steering committee meeting, uh, or some, a council meeting, I guess we had that night. And, 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 and then on a Tuesday night, women in the word during the day as well. And on, and on Wednesday night, it was, it was full of people for different things. In the band. I mean, this building gets used, it's great. And we use it a ton. But we're hitting limits. And this is why I, I think we have to recognize this and why we have to, I, I think we need to do something. In terms of space, um, you know, we're, we're, we're packing it in here pretty good. And um, people again say, yeah, I'm not sure if this is a place that there's enough room for me. In terms of security, 25 years ago, we didn't worry the same way we did about kids getting picked up from nurseries. And so we feel like we need to, just for the sake of security, do something with that and age. The building is 25 years old. All right. I mean, the building has been around and it's starting to show its age. So we've been working. We've got some concepts drawing out, concept drawings. Um, and, 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 and I want to show you just real quickly um, some of these things real quick, uh, kind of a 3D sketch. Craig, thanks for your, the progressive working these. Um, again, auditorium there to the left, you see that. Um, natural lighting and so on. Nurseries would be off to the right. Main entrance there. We're trying to make it into two main entrances. That's one of our goals because with five, it's just, again, security issues. Um, we come down to a kind of a ground level main entrance right there. Um, when you walk in there, um, everything comes off what we're calling a hub there. And again, these are concept drawings. What, what we'll do is we'll uh, hopefully vote, if we do vote on Tuesday night to move forward, we'll, we'll do a fundraising campaign, we'll decide how much money we're going to raise, and then we'll redo the drawings in line with that. Um, and so, um, you know, we'll, we'll just see what we do. So information, the auditorium is off to the left. The gathering place is the foyer out there. Children's ministry, again, you can see there's a door to keep it safe there. Nursery off to the right. If we look specifically at the nursery, again, um, a door in the front, some sort, 
and then a, a place. Uh, and so you really kind of got to get through three things to put the kids there. That's kind of standard for churches these days, all right? Children's ministry area, again, a check-in desk, and then again, a place where the children are brought, um, and all that congestion in that hallway will go away because we're not going to let you walk down it anymore. Um, if we go down kind of facing to the east, the other main entrance out of that parking lot there, auditorium to the left, again, the foyer there to the right, and the auditorium um, looks something like this, again, natural lighting and so on. So that's, those are the concept drawings. You can, we'll, we'll have some other stuff for you, maybe try to do an actual 3D kind of fly-through thing. We'll see about that. Um, but that's part of what we're voting on, and the other part is, is what we're calling maximum impact, a fundraising campaign. And uh, we're going to just see what, what, we, uh, you know, what we decide to do with that and how much money we're able to raise. And um, again, it's, it's going to be the main part of it. We're going to have some people being challenged, some of the leadership council members, other leadership challenged early. But April 17 to May 8 is going to be the congregational time for that if we vote to go ahead on Tuesday. And one of the commitments that we've made is that, that we're not going to do long-term debt, okay? We're not going to put ourselves in a financial position where we're going to just be in, in begging for money. Um, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. All right, two closing remarks, okay? Two closing remarks. First of all, uh, again, um, just from my end, I think it's time. Some of you felt like it was time 10 years ago. I got to tell you, I didn't. I, I am very reluctant about this, and, and I have resisted this because I want to be a pastor, not a building director. I want to be a pastor, not somebody who's raising money all the time. I want to be a pastor, and I don't want this to get in the way, okay? And, 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 and so, but I, I just think it's time. Part of the reason we vote is because this is not my church. It's our church. And, and if you don't think it's time, then I think that's the word of the Lord. So then I'll take that. This is not saying, this is, this is me. It's, I'm just telling you, I, I think it's time. I think this is what we're doing is responsible and, and honoring God in that. And then one more thing which you can decide is good news or bad news, um, but a number of people have asked me about this, um, and I'll just put it this way, I'm in. Um, some of you have said, well, Ron, if we do this, how long are you going to stick around? Are you going to look for another job? Are you going to go teach someplace? Are you, I'm not in, I, I think God has called me here. And as far as I can look into the future, I think God is calling me here. Um, I think God is doing something really special here, and I want to be a part of it. So, um, you can let me know if you want to change that. But uh, so, um, yeah, one more thing before I'll I'll pray. Um, but just. I won't be around next week because uh, we'll be in the Dominican Republic, so thank you for uh, your gift last fall. Um, we're going down to Punta Cana, and uh, that'll be great, so thank you. Let's, let's pray together. Father, some of us are nobodies, some of us are somebodies. Some of us are nobodies in some circles and somebodies in other circles. But all of us are dead in the water without Jesus. Thank you for your indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for for giving us new life and healing and hope through Jesus Christ. Teach us to live in that hope and teach us to share that hope with the people around us. Father, we pray that as a body we can become a community that is just a place where the kingdom of God is real and visible in every aspect of our lives, a place where people can meet Jesus. And, And so we just thank you. 
for the hope that Jesus brings to us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? Again, if you want to meet somebody, pray with them after the uh, service. There will be folks in the prayer room. Um, People of God, as you go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we live in that grace. Amen.